Welcome to episode 217 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Back in 2005, I applied for a second time to my dream job, Special Events Manager at Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Offenders, GLAD. About six months earlier, I had submitted my carefully crafted resume and cover letter, drafted with input from professionals, and I heard crickets. Miraculously, that position became available again very quickly because the person they hired did not work out. So I applied again, and this time I wrote my own cover letter, which started with, as an out queer feminist transgender man, I, that time I was hired and I spent the next decade working there. I feel very fortunate to have spent my nonprofit career working for progressive organizations where I could bring more of my whole self to work. Then in 2015, I left the security of a regular paycheck to turn my side hustle as a speaker into a business. Once again, I found myself trying to follow best practices for how to find work, this time with a focus on how to find clients. Over the years, I've heard advice from several experts to not share my personal or political views in public or I risk alienating 50% of our prospective clients. That never made sense to me. Why would I want to work with anyone who was diametrically opposed to my identity, my beliefs, and my values? I bucked that advice and have not shied away from sharing who I am what I believe, or the values I hold dear. Have I lost client opportunities? I'm sure I have, but I've also attracted the kind of people and organizations that I love working with because we have shared values. All this is to say that if you're voting for Trump, I welcome you unsubscribing from my podcast because a vote for Trump is a vote against me and my queer family. A vote for Trump cannot be done in good conscience in 2020, knowing what he has done to our country over the last three and a half years. If you voted for Trump in 2016 and won't be again, thank you for paying attention and getting news from outside your Fox bubble. And to everyone else, please make a plan to vote and help your friends and family make a plan too. We need a record turnout because statistically, there are way more people who support Biden's view of the world, even if they don't love Biden, than support Trump's view of the world. Your challenge for this week 2020 has been a heck of a year. Let's not make it last another four years with ramifications for generations. When you look back 20 years from now, will you feel you've done everything you can? Speak up, speak out, and make your views known. It's time to get out the vote. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is a super connector. Nothing makes her happier than connecting people who could mutually make each other's lives more enjoyable. She is the founder and chief networking officer of Six Degrees Society, a female-focused networking organization that handpicks who you meet while networking. It has been called one of the best New York City network events if you want to find a new job by Refinery29 and Where to Meet Women Who Are as Obsessed with Their Career as You by Girlboss. In 2020, Six Degrees Society held over 80 events virtually and has an in-real-life presence in New York City, San Francisco, LA, and Chicago. They have partnered with brands such as Ann Taylor, Rebecca Taylor, Rebecca Minkoff, Kendra Scott, Vince, Theory, Velvet, and so many more. 
As a business coach for solopreneurs, she has helped her clients launch their businesses, create communities, raise their prices, streamline their messaging, and cross the six-figure mark. She has built an event career in special events and marketing at Ralph Lauren, Club Monaco, Turi Birch, and Intramix. If you like what you hear today, tune into her podcast, The Sixth Degree. Please join me in welcoming Emily Merrill. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm sorry about all the Rebecca's that you just had to read. (laughs) (laughs) So many Rebecca's. (laughs) So many Rebecca's. Emily, thank you so much for joining us from your home in San Francisco, California. It's such a pleasure having you here. So, you know, as I shared with you right before we went on air, this is a show about buildings or networks and the context is leadership because, you know, as you might agree, no one achieves success in a vacuum, right? So that's why I want to kick off with this question. Like, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? It's such a good question and and definitely one I'm so grateful you asked because it, it got me thinking to my childhood and got, got me thinking to specifically to high school. Um, when I was in high school, I was that friend that everyone called on the weekend and asked, what are we up to this weekend? And while I would say to them, I'm binging whatever I was watching at that time, probably Grey's Anatomy because it was the early 2000s and still on now today. Um, but I would be I would want to be alone, but everyone relied on me to come up with the plans to create what we were doing, come up with the agenda and coordinate, be that a carpool, be that, uh, who, who was coming, curating the list. So we became, I became known. I say we, cause my mom was integral in making sure that these evenings went smoothly, but I was always that person that people turned to for now what? And that was definitely a moment when I realized when I was younger that I, I am a leader and that people care what I think or what I do. That's really interesting. It makes me think of um, in um, uh, The Tipping Point, he talks about connectors, influencers. Oh, no, what does he say? Connectors, mavens. So that sounds like a very maven thing. Like what's what's going on? You know, what's what's going on this weekend? What should we all what should we all be doing? So it's funny because, I, I you know, you have very maven tendencies that people identified. But it sounds like you're also really good at figuring out the who. Who should come? All connecting parts. Yeah, I definitely have a problem where I force all of my the people the people that I collect, so to speak, that I it's really important for me to that they're friends with one another. Um, I found it really peculiar when people are like, "Oh yeah, I've got twelve different friend groups um, that don't know each other." And sure, you can have twelve different friends friend groups, but there needs to be a common thread where if they're all in a house together, they're going to get along swimmingly. They're going to all be friends with one another. Um, and truthfully, that was a lot of the genesis of why I started what I started. Um, but even before that, I loved bringing people together with supper clubs and over food, and the idea that we're not just limited to the people we're surrounding ourselves meeting at work or meeting from college. But if we all brought a a person to the table, we could all become this like greater force for good and help each other grow personally and professionally. Yeah. I'm having flashbacks as I listen to you because in high school, I was friends with all these different cliques and I would have parties where I'd bring them all together. Cause like, and I, that's totally who I am even to today. So, all right, speaking of high school, let's roll back the clock even a little (laughs) bit further, Emily. What were you like as a kid? What were you like on the playground? Were you the one organizing activities in the playground or or were you, you have these tendencies to want to do things on your own as well. Like, were you having to fight those tendencies? 
So I was definitely um, someone that my parents were worried was going to be kidnapped. I, I really struggled with needing to talk to people all the time. I loved hearing people's stories. And at the time as a kid, I loved hearing adult stories. I was fascinated by marriage. I was fascinated by marriage problems. I would, I would essentially act as a pseudotherapist at seven years old and get their whole life story and hear the, the whole marital status, everything, way too much information for a young person. Um, but I loved figuring out what made people tick and what got them to where they were. And so it was actually harder for me to, to meld well with kids up until probably I was in sixth grade. That's when I started getting more girlfriends and having more of a click around me, but I loved adults and which I think is really interesting to think about. And truthfully, I was a little hustler on the, the playground, not in a, not in a, inappropriate way, a hustler, a business hustler. I loved making money at a young age. And I was that person that always tried to put business things together from selling friendship bracelets um, to creating. I was always creating things and trying to like monetize my creations from stress balls, selling them to parents around the house um, that I wasn't as interested in like the girl drama and everyone pulling each other's hair sort of thing. I was boy crazy. there There was that. Oh my gosh, you're just cracking me up because um, I too was the youngster who would sit and do um, trade recipes with adults over coffee <laughs> at dinner parties where all the kids went off to play and I was the only kid still at the table with the adults asking about recipe, like getting getting instructions <laughs> at like eight, nine years old, like <laughs> on how to make some dish and like, oh, let me write it down for you, you know. <laughs> let me put that in my Palm Pilot one second. Yeah, yeah. Pre Palm Pilot, even. Yeah, pre Palm um, Pilot. And I sold things so much as a kid that my next door neighbor um, told her kids they weren't allowed to buy things for me anymore. <laughs> so, right? Oh my gosh, I love that. So, we were both kind of serious kids, it sounds like, which is funny because I think we're some of the most gregarious, personally funniest people. Um, but it takes time. And there's a particular story that I just want to tell you. Uh, in seventh grade, I was at a new school in Connecticut. We had just moved from Florida to Connecticut. And my teacher had us write, our English teacher had us write an essay on our favorite TV show. And I took myself so seriously that I thought TV was such a waste of time. I was more of a book person. I loved books. And the only TV shows I permitted myself to watch, these are not my parents permitting me. My sister could watch whatever the heck she wanted, was... Um, who wants to be a millionaire because there was a learning component to it and I could be <laughs> trivia. So I remember in this class, it was such a little, Oh, such a little pain, I, you know, going up to my teacher and being like, okay. Um, so I'm going to write the only show I watch is who wants to be a millionaire. How do I write like a summary on this and like a description of what this, the show's about. But yeah, that was the show that I ended up writing about. Yeah, that's it's so funny that you had given yourself strict guidelines to live by, which I have a feeling you still have sort of strong ethos around like work and life and all of that. So yeah, you're nodding. You know, so by the way, let's actually go back to the, my, my, I had a two-part question in the beginning and I don't want you to evade the first part, which is how do you mm. define leadership? Ooh, how do I just define leadership? Thank you for reminding me on this question. Um, someone that is, no matter if it's, raining or fiery around you is able to put their own self 
doubts and concerns aside and stand up for others. And I've, I've been there. So I, I definitely do think I am a leader. I, I'm not fearful of saying I'm, I'm not a leader. Um, and I think it took starting a business for me to really define myself and feel comfortable stepping into leadership shoes. Because when I worked for other companies, all of those names that you listed before, I always doubted what I was doing because it wasn't my baby. And it's similar when you, you know, speaking of babies, if you babysit or if you hold someone else's baby, you're not quite sure, is this the right way to do it? I don't want to hurt it. You know what you're doing more. Um, so similarly with a corporate job, if I wrote a survey, if I wrote a summary about the corporate job, I would always want to get a final approval from my manager or for someone else in the company. I never felt a hundred percent certain about the words that were deployed and having your own business. I feel very, very confident about what I put out, even if it's not always the best. Yeah. It's because it's yours. It's the, it's, it's your baby. <laughs> it's yeah. your baby. Were there, um, were there folks you looked up to when you were younger who were good leaders that you're like, as you were trying to figure out how to do this for yourself? Growing up, we had a lot of um, au pairs, actually. My parents had an au pair from a different country come every single year. Where in hindsight, I'm like, is this legal? How cheap you paid these people? (laughs) They stayed in our our home, uh, 18 years old, 19 years old. And I so admired them because whatever they said went. And I really admired the sternness and there wasn't a particular one that really, really stood out, but um, I had a favorite and I liked that she mixed and she was stern and she was strict, but she was also really gentle, gentle and really playful. And she came from Austria and she just had such a beautiful way about her. Um, so though pairs were definitely something. And then there were certain teachers that throughout the years always stood out and, and helped me just helped me kind of stand up for myself a little bit more. That's awesome. I remember years later trying to find a teacher, like mm. to tell them, yeah, it's like now it feels like such a distant memory. It's like all so long ago, but those, those people, their impact still like lives on. That's really cool. So you went into a whole career. Like at what point did you know you were going to end up in that career doing events and marketing? Probably when I got the job, I, I knew that I, Events have always followed us. Uh, followed us. I say it like I'm like a du- dual personality. I'm a Gemini, so I say us because there are two of us at times. But it, they always followed me around. Were in in all aspects of my life. So in college, I joined a sorority. I went to a super small liberal arts college in Ohio, and I was the philanthropy chair. So I was planning events. I was bringing people in to spend money to give back to philanthropic causes, and then. I moved to Argentina after college. I, the economy was not doing so hot. It was 2009. Some stuff happened in the world, you may remember. And I was always meeting new people and I was always gathering people. And I ended up actually going into the travel industry, planning trips for people coming down to Argentina from America and from Australia. So there was always that component of like itineraries and planning. And so when the opportunity arose at Ralph Lauren, my first company that I worked at, I was able to take all of the the experience of planning and 
itineraries and just twist it and pivot it into, of course I can plan events for retail stores. And Robbie, truthfully, I had no idea what a retail events assistant did. And up until the interview, I was Googling, what are retail events? Like I, I had no idea. I had just come back from Argentina. I was super kind of hippy dippy, like screw diamonds. I don't need anything monetary. And of course, my first job interview is at Ralph Lauren, at which if you're familiar with the brand is the exact opposite of that. It's very high end, very country club. Um, but again, I was able to take the experience that I had had and just turn it into a really great story of how it could parlay into events. It feels like um, having those transferable skills is, is an asset. No, recognizing you have those transferable skills. How did you even get the job opportunity for Ralph Lauren? Was that through a connection? It was through a connection. And it was, it was actually through a connection I made in Argentina. And I got a lot of slack from my parents for moving down to Argentina, specifically my stepfather, who was very traditional. Um, he very much believed like you should go straight to work. And he told me I was going to be behind schedule in life. And which is funny now being like, do I feel behind schedule on other things? Sure. But no, not on that. And so I went down to Argentina and I took it upon myself to network every single night. I needed it to meet a new connection or a friend of a friend or someone and just hear their stories. And towards the time that I knew I was in Argentina nine months and knew I wanted to go back to start my real life, quote unquote, real life in New York City. And I met this really great girl who had just moved down to Argentina temporarily with her boyfriend at the time. And she had worked in PR at Auntie Auntie Anne's or Auntie Annie's in in San Francisco doing PR. And I was like, oh, I I totally want to do PR. That sounds great. I knew I wanted to do PR or marketing because that's all I really knew was available out in the world. And um, I asked if I could invite, if I could buy her brunch and pick her brain and have her look over my resume and all the, the normal things. And she was super kind. And she emailed my resume out to about six of her friends across the country. I get back in May of 2010 to New York City and I hear nothing. I hear crickets. And I'm back in the back at square one. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. I end up finding a a job doing hospitality with a wine brand from Argentina where we would go to all these different conferences and we would, my boss was this young guy. So he was super fun. And we would introduce people to wine and like make them fall in love with this beautiful Malbec, which was still very novel at the time in, in America. And one day out of the blue, I get a phone call from a girl on Labor Day weekend at 9 p.m. while I'm in the car with my then boss who asked me if I'm still looking for a job because she just got hired at Ralph Lauren as a temp manager and was looking for a temp retail marketing assistant. And I'm literally like, yes, 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 I'm still looking for a job. But my boss is right next to me. So I end up Oh, there's so many times that this could not have worked. She got engaged that weekend. I ended up getting like terrible food poisoning. It got delayed. They hired another girl. The other girl didn't know how to save in Excel, fired the other girl. And then I had my opportunity to tell them about my experience working in high-end wine. Do you know Polo? Polo is really important in Argentina and was able to connect Polo to Ralph Lauren and, um, 
somehow I convinced him to hire me. Wow. Like, I love the circuitous nature of life. And yet you persevered and kept going. And totally. um, I, this uh, goal you had when you were in Argentina to like make a new connection every day, like just that was sort of a constant goal. I mean, first of all, that's best left to people in their 20s. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm an indoor house cat now. <laughs> I'm sure that I was like that. And then some in my 20s, like, that's true. But, um, but I'm sure that doing that and then building on that, like building that into a career, you then made your way through several different established, you know, brands. At, at what point did you start to have this inkling that you were going to run your own thing? So two things. First and foremost, moving down to Argentina, I had this itch and desire to create a network when I moved down there from, from scratch. Like I just knew I had it be, and if I moved to New York, it would have been too easy. And I, I love the feeling of being uncomfortable. And I felt like moving to a country where I knew no one, I could be uncomfortable and see if I'm capable of creating a network completely from scratch. Yeah, I have problems. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> Two, both of my parents were entrepreneurs growing up, my mom and dad. Um, my mom designed menu covers for hotels and for restaurants. And she was always traveling to these luxury hotels and always working till three in the morning. And it's actually really funny because now I'm I'm teaching my mom about boundaries and managing expectations and things that would have been really important if back when she ran her business. So I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur in some capacity. I just didn't know when I would get that calling. And when I was in this, the corporate ladder, so to speak, and moving around to these different establishments, I always felt like I was undercover. Like I was, I was getting best practices. I was learning, you know, spreadsheets. I would download, oh my gosh, I hope I can say this, like download the things that I learned and save them. And I've repurposed them, even the way that I do lay out my events for the year. I, I use from a template I got at Ralph Lauren. And it's, but I knew in my heart of hearts that I never wanted to be the boss there. I never aspired to be a CMO. I never even aspired to be a director level. It just felt so, it felt so fake to me. Like at the whole situation, like this isn't real life. You're all freaking out about the stupidest things and it doesn't feel real life. Like this is just, there has to be more. So that's when I kind of had my my Disney princess moment where like, what else is out there? What else can there be? And it was one, like, I remember the day so vividly. I was sitting next to my, my work wife at Tory Birch. And I just remember it was like February and dreary and awful in New York City and thinking like, is this going to be our future forever? Do you ever wonder if there's more? And she's like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if other people feel this way. I'll send an email to everyone on my Tory Burch email, by the way. Like everything was on my Tory Burch email. I had no, I was going to be there forever still in my mind. So who cared? Except them probably. Um, and so I emailed every girlfriend I knew and I explained to them this itch I was feeling of just being unsure. Like what if, what if I'm supposed to be a coder or what if I'm supposed to be an artist and I've never picked up a paintbrush? Like, how do I know? How do you know? And, um, I got so many emails back being like, I feel this every single day. Can I send this to some friends who I know are feeling the same weird itch? Again, we're 25, 26. I've heard people say this to me verbatim 
now 10 years later. And it's really funny to hear it from someone else's mouth. And long story long, I told, I decided let's bring everyone together and we can go around and we can hear what a day in the life of each of you is like. So then you can kind of see what all these industries have to offer. And before I knew it, 45 people had RSVP'd and I lived in a 700 square foot apartment in New York City that the idea of a talking wine bottle being passed around became a little bit less desirable. So um, I mentioned the idea to a girlfriend who worked as an events person at um, at a venue in New York City. She's like, look, I can cut you a deal, $25 a head, give you two glasses of wine, appetizers, does that work? Robbie, I felt so guilty asking my friends to pay cash monies to attend this thing that I'm putting together. And I had my mom as a photographer slash working front desk slash receiving Venmo payments. I didn't have an Eventbrite. It was not supposed to be a thing. And the night before I realized I'm going to be so bored if I hear 45 people's stories. This is just awful. Like you, you, your eyes glaze over after the third person, fourth person. So that was the night that I came up with the matches and the idea that what if I gave everyone everyone's bios in advance and I did the heavy heavy lifting for them and I matched them who who I think was the best people that they need to meet within this room. And that's how the matches were born and conceived. And that's how the event was born. And it was supposed to be a one and done event. And at the end of this night, everyone came up to me and was like, this was extraordinary. It was so purposeful. It was so intentional. I got so much accomplished. When's your next one? And that's when starting to like dabble into the entrepreneurial world. Still not yet ready. So I have to tell you, I went from my mouth being a gap that you (laughs) sent that message out to having chills about how it all turned out. And just as, um, Pluck, I think is the word I'm going to use for you that you have. <laughs> Plucky. <laughs> Love it. A little. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that you were just yeah. like, hey, let's just sure. throw this out there to the world. Um, I can also really relate to the feeling that you're never going to leave a job. Like I actually, my last job in my, my actual career, I thought that I'd be there forever. And um yeah. So in some ways you're like, huh, you know, I ran 10, I ran 25, about 25 events a year, 10 years in a row. Like there was nothing new after year four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can do this in my sleep. This is crazy. Yeah. And and the same silly stuff could come up and you'd be like, oh yeah. You know, and the yeah. cast of characters would change and the interns stayed the same age. So I started feeling older. Yes. Oh. <laughs> like you graduate when? Oh, oh yeah. No, okay. this is incredible. So, um, but the fact that you, I guess what I love about this story is that you decided to open up about it and most people aren't right. That's, that's partly why people were so drawn to you and to wanting to come to a space and talk and, and discover this. And, um, the book quarter life crisis was probably written just before this. Like I'm trying to remember when that book came out. Um, so I've got a few years on you, but, um, <laughs> but I, but I'm saying that, like, I think the quarter life crisis piece was sort of something that was being discussed and here you are mid twenties, like literally the Where world's your oyster. You could do anything you want and therefore you're, you're trapped. <laughs> like it's no. totally right. But you found peers to talk to, you leaned into relationships and you took that leadership role 
and you figured out all the logistics and you got your mom in on it <laughs> and you found a venue. I mean, like, and, and you listen to what people needed. And so I think as an entrepreneur, one of the lessons that I'm listening to from this is you didn't go in with a fully formed absolute plan. You, you actually stopped to really think about what was the purpose of the event and what would be best for people. And you iterated even before the first event, you iterated from what you thought you told people it was going to be to what you thought would be best serving for them. So they walked in expecting one format and gratefully they did not sit there and listen to 45 people. <laughs> share oh my their God, it's been awful. <laughs> but that, that's design, that's event design yeah. and that's facilitation and that's thoughtfulness. How long does it take you though? What's your maximum number of people per, per event? So I've had up to a hundred before, but my sweet spot is 30 to 35. And how long does it take you to figure out how to match people then? You know, it's funny. Initially, it would take me hours. I would be halfway through the the sheet and be like, oh no, 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 no. Robbie needs to be with this person. And then I would re- go backwards and I'd rematch everyone. And I would be super stressed out that every match had to be perfect. And once my events became recurring, I re- I put less stress on myself on making it the perfect match because they're going to get the chance to probably meet that person in the future. And most of the time, we now have members. So we have a 40% repeat per event. So my thought process is match the members with new people. And then the new people will come and hopefully become members and then meet, match the members with new people, rinse and repeat. So I've, a few weeks ago, a girlfriend of mine, um, we hosted an in-person fireside chat, but it was digital and she just did a sold out gallery show. And it was a lot of her friends that were coming and she was like, no, 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 no. This person needs to be matched with this person and this person. And it was taking way longer than I normally do. And, and I was like, I remember why I don't do this anymore. I, I simplified it. It takes me about 15 to 20 minutes now. Oh my gosh. Cause I can imagine how much effort that would take. I ran a meetup group for 11 years that we ran like two events a month. And yes, that was overlapping the same time period that I ran 25 events for my job. <laughs> so I was running a lot of events, but um, yeah, our big, our big events would have about a hundred, 120 people. Wow. And you know, we would not, I'd just not worry about, I would, I would facilitate sort of the design of the experience, but not the matching. And I would get questions all the time about speed dating, like a, like setting mm-hmm. up like a speed round. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> I, don't want I was to. like, I don't know. So the fact that you figured out a way to do that, that isn't so onerous and you've been able to take this into the virtual space. Yes. I have to say virtual has been a joy. I've loved it because the the problem with in-person or one of the challenges with in-person I'll say is um, it's like herding cats to get person, to get people from one match to the other. So I sometimes would get on a chair if it was a big enough room and I would ring a bell or tap a water glass and say to go to the next match. But if it's a large group of individuals, then you have to find the match. Um, At one point for the hundred plus room, I had people meet in particular areas. So it was like, they're over by the Navy couch and by the tan couch, by the coffee bar. Um, And then the, the other thing is that I like to do generally, if it's a smaller, more intimate event, I would interrupt you in your match. And I would remind you that it's time to move on to your next match. So you could wrap up your conversation and then go on. But then 
I would see one person by themselves, be like, Bobby, come on, it's time to get over to your match. So the beauty of the the virtual events are the breakout rooms and being able to just push a button and whisk people to their matches and away from their matches. I know. I was thinking about like the there are definitely some perks to online. You just described one of them, which is you used what you could in person to make it work and you and you thought it was fine. And now you're like, wow. <laughs> wow. The energy I put into it. <laughs> which is a great point in general about in-person events. Like I never complained about carrying 12 bottles of wine on my shoulders on a subway and a cheese board. I never complained about being an hour early and setting up an hour, breaking down an hour late. But now the ease and the amount of time that I've gotten back has been really remarkable. And I'm able to to focus energies in areas like business coaching or areas where I can offer more events without the the same overhead of stress and logistical challenges. And the most incredible part, my favorite part about the virtual events are the traffic breakdowns that aren't happening as much because there's always a traffic breakdown that happens or some sort of transportation problem that happens in an in-person event from a subway to a metro to a muni to a car. And so with that extra time that I don't have for people to arrive, I now actually can use it where the whole room gets to meet each other. And that wasn't happening before. That's that's really awesome. I think that some people froze when the world went on pause on March 13th and some people leaned in. How quickly did you make that shift? So I got home from an event on Wednesday and I think I added my first digital event onto the calendar for the following week by that Thursday. And the 12th. I, the 12th, yeah. So that 12th and then I put something up. I want to say it was the 16th whatever the next Wednesday or Thursday was, I put something up and I put myself as the guinea pig. I was like, I'll just teach people how, how to network like a pro. And, you know, so that way I'm not embarrassing any speakers that come in or, or whatnot, or if no one shows, it's just me. And people signed up from cities where they never, where they had maybe moved away from one of the cities we were in and signed up. And I started adding two a week and pivoting all of the events that we had had already locked in for in-person and pivoting them to virtual and then adding to them where we went from one event or two events a week to four to five events a week. And you're charging for these events. Yes, I'm charging. And that was interesting navigating that because we're like, what do I, I'm not, I don't want to charge $35. That's what I charge for in-person. You know, they don't get food. They don't get drink. I felt so guilty about that. That first feeling of charging my friends came back in. Now I charge $25 an event, um, which next year I'm definitely raising the prices on. Wow. That's really cool. Um, you know, it's interesting that you say this because I've been hosting uh, a virtual happy hour since March 13th. So just wow. like you, I like, I was frozen between nine. Like I feel, I remember feeling really stuck. And when I go back and look at a calendar, it was between March 9th and March 11th. Or maybe give like two days to be frozen. Yeah. Well, March 9th, I realized like, oh no, something's coming. How do yeah. I receive what's what what is this? March eleventh, I met in a pure mastermind and I was like, how do I show up and add value? Like nothing. I I mean, I was all about in-person events and handshakes, business cards, eye contact, body language, you know, like not the <laughs> cross not them the, off your list. Yeah, not the <laughs> currency of the current moment. And um, 
yeah, I um, I had my first one on March 13th and I've been doing them for free. And now they're two and a half hours long every week. And I spend like a dozen hours a month um, planning and executing them. But they've led to so much amazing business. Like, okay, they're, you know, so it's, it's really interesting model wise because it's incredible lead generation. Um, 800 people have signed up. I have this such loyalty of people who come. So I got to come. I think I'm going to have you uh, come and do uh, a guest appearance. I'm going to say it right Ooh. now. I'm going to make, I'm going to ask you live. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay. yes. I, I'll accept this rose. I think it'll be so much fun. So, so um, I, I, I imagine you just meet so many people. I'm curious how you, how you manage that. Like, <laughs> you know, I always say like there's an inner circle and then there's sort of that second and third layer tier out the, the people you see every year at a conference or work with five years ago or, I don't know, the people you really like, but you have no reason to, to meet with regularly right now. How do you nurture and sustain those connections? Do you have any practices or philosophies or habits? I wish I had a better CRM system. Let's just say that. I'll start there. But I have to say my favorite hack that I feel really fortunate about is that I created all the bios for people. So a lot of the people I do meet, I have their information or their bios. So even if they email out of the blue, this is more if someone inbound comes and emails me and I'm like, I can't place them, I can't place them. I'm able to track and look back and, and see, oh, they came to this event in San Francisco on this date and I'm whisked back into the my world with them. For people that I am nurturing or I'm hoping to nurture essentially. I respond to every newsletter that they send out. Uh, I subscribe to their LinkedIn or I'm on Facebook and I'm really, I'm gently hugging them all the time and kind of giving them a boost up. So they post something raw and vulnerable on Instagram. I comment on it and I, you know, admire, I message them for like their vulnerability. Um, so I, I show them that I'm aware and that I'm constantly paying attention to them without smothering them. And I don't know if you're familiar with human design, but I'm a projector, which means that I love helping people. Like it, it is my nature. I'm a golden retriever of a human being. I love, 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 love helping people. The only problem is not everyone wants to be helped and you need to, you need to look for that signal for when they're inviting you in and actually asking you for help. Otherwise your help is going to fall on deaf ears. So as the golden retriever of sorts, I'm constantly just letting them know I'm available for pets and, and whatnot. But if they want me to guide them, they they need to ask for my help. Otherwise, I won't just give away free advice. That's a weird metaphor. The other thing that I do is um, on downtime, like back in the day when riding subways or Ubers or whatnot, I'll start at the bottom of my text messages because if I'm texting with you, I know that most likely... We have some sort of relationship and I'll just message them. Be like, I can't believe I haven't messaged you since 2019. What's going on? How have you been? Did I see you had a baby? And so it's personalized messages and gets gets people warmed up. I'm going to start with that last one first because it's so tangible. And I've done this uh, infrequently and I should probably get on a more regular s- schedule because um, my text messages are from a year ago forward. Yeah. And so... Um, I, I, what I love is that sometimes like it's the most random people that I didn't even, sometimes I haven't even saved their name. Like maybe it was a guest for my show and we happened to text like last minute and I replied, okay, no, no worries if you're running two minutes late. But now that reminds me to like reach out and it's so personal compared to 
even like a Facebook PM, it like means something that I have their phone number. Um, so right? I, I love I that. I so agree there. I love that. Um, also, I have to look up human design. We're going to definitely put a link to that in the show notes because I think it's something for us all to learn more about how we all operate in the world and that you're listening for ways you can help people in the ways they want to be helped. I think that's the way I'm interpreting what you said. And um, gently hugging was the term you used. <laughs> and I just like love the visualization of that. <laughs> you see me as like a cute... A- you put my head on a golden retriever, just like going around and like resting my head in people's laps being like, you're good. You've got this. Keep going. And did you want belly rubs? I'm yeah. happy to- <laughs> Oh, the ball, 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 ball. <laughs> Dinner. Yeah. So, I mean, this is great. I, I, the idea is to just nurture people. The other thing you said was you, you sign up for their email list mm-hmm. and then you reply to their newsletters, their emails. And I have, a, I have some people who, who pretty regularly do that for my messages, uh, my weekly email, and it really does stand out. And even if you only do it once, it stands out, I will say, and even if you're not consistent with it, because we're all content creators. I mean, a lot of listeners are probably content creators as well, and we create into a void. And so whenever someone takes the time to say, I read that, or I listened to that, and here's what I got from it, and here's how it helped me, like really specific it's amazing. It, it carries the content creator forward. I feel like for months to keep producing good content. Oh, I love it. I think it's like sprinkling magic sprinkles into your, into your day, your lowest days. You can grab into this, this little pot and be like, Oh my gosh, I, I got this compliment or I got someone who actually opened the email where it feels sometimes like you're sending emails or creating podcasts to avoid. And then, so when someone actually who, comments back or response back that that resonates. I love it. It Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I also have a quick note what you were saying about Facebook messages and LinkedIn messages. I hate them. I actually hate them. And the reason why is I feel like if you LinkedIn me first, we're going to stay like super business focused. And if you email me first, we're probably going to move into friend category. I end up doing more business with my friends or people that I know. Yeah. People that I know period and kind of trust and I can still be myself with, and I don't feel like I have to constantly be on and perfect and this representation of who they think I should be. Mm. So yeah, yeah. it's interesting when they fall into different categories. I do find though, when someone has an ask for me, if they're like, on an introduction or if they want um, me to help them find an apartment, all the random things that you get email me versus when you Facebook message the messenger message me, there's that feeling that aspect of feeling like you want an on-demand response, but I don't have an on-demand answer. So it's nice to give it a little bit more time to sit there. I think in an email. And of course, if they have your email, but I think part of it is that um, Facebook messages and to a large extent, text messages, sometimes it's hard to track. Like, oh, the worst. Yeah. So if you're getting, because you probably get a lot of inbound, I get that too. And whereas you might have more systems for tracking email. So, well, you know, the other thing I guess would be to, to if you really want to build relationships, maybe figure out the modality that they, they want and then use that. So if you know someone's like, I had one person the only way to have him answer me was to send him a direct uh, tweet, a direct message oh on, my God. on Twitter because he only 
like followed, like he was really into technology, but he like only followed the people he was friends with or something. So like if for you to message him on there, he it really, I don't know. So talk about yeah, like gatekeeping. Yeah. So I had all these other ways to reach him, but the only way he ever responded and he responded quickly was through Twitter DM, which like, you got to know, you got to know your audience. Um, I, I love this. And I, I want to make sure we squeeze in this one last question, Emily, which is, um, you know, of course, we're going to stay connected and I, I want to get to your events and you're going to come to my events. We're going to have so mm-hmm. much fun. But if we're, you know, meeting up a year from now and we're like, wow, it's been a year since that interview. I want to know what are we going to be celebrating? What successes are you looking forward to over the next 12 months? Oh, I like this. I like this question a lot. So over the next 12 months, I do want to start a family. So I might start asking you about sleeping and how to do that. I'm I'm getting a little anxious about the idea of my family not being close by. <laughs> Went down a spiral the other day with my husband. The other thing that I would love to accomplish is Things are so systemized that we're out at a boozy lunch, if, you, if you're into booze um, or whatever, big cake lunch. And we are celebrating and we're not, neither of us have our phones out because we know that things are just happening. We don't have to worry about checking in on anything. That, be, that means hosting events without me being at all of the events again. Um, that means masterminds being sold without having to manage my inbox it means um, this this course that I'm hoping to create just chichinging in the background. And truthfully, I have a monetary goal and I'm going to say it out loud because let's get there. I want to be at the $500,000 mark. I really want to be at the $500,000 mark of my business and just feel really, really proud that I did it. That wow. We, we've collectively done it. Yeah. I cannot wait to celebrate all of that with you. It sounds amazing. And, uh, and I, I think we're going to see a lot from you over the next year is what I'm guessing. And speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work? Well, you can follow me on, on Instagram and, and permission granted for a DM, not to totally scare you out of DMing me or messaging me. I'm six degrees society, uh, six underscore degrees underscore society on Instagram or Emily A. Merrill, M-E-R-R-E-L-L on Instagram. And then check out our website, sixdegreessociety.com, all spelled out. And I actually would love to give everyone a a free event to come to their first event for free. You can use code virtual SDS at checkout. So you can check it out, see if it's up, if it's something that you enjoy and hopefully we'll see more of you. Fantastic. We will have all those links in the show notes at on the Emily, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for the great questions, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Emily. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 217. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. And do my opening remarks resonate with you? Awesome. I welcome you sending me some love to balance out the inevitable backlash I'll receive. 
email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. And while you're at it, let me know if there's some way I can support you as a virtual event design consultant or relationship-based business strategist. If you enjoy this episode with Emily, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.